Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings to all our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of The Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Rana Atta. Uh, we're, obviously, we're here live from our studios here at uh, The Voice of Islam. I should say studios here in South London. So how's your weekend been? Or how's your week been? Um, my week Busy? is... I can't, I can't really remember, to be honest. It's, um, it's flown by, you mean? It's flown by, and um, yeah, I, I would say it's not really been anything like out of the ordinary, but it's just been the same old, to be honest. Same what, old, same old. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, busy, busy. Uh, getting ready for, obviously, Ramadan's round, yeah, the corner, round the corner. Thinking about Ramadan recipes, yeah. uh, how to open uh, your fast. Uh, and are, you, are, your you, fast. are you someone who cooks for... Yes, I am. Oh, okay. But um, with... Previous Ramadans, actually, it is still, is it, we're, we're going to be, so I think it's the 12th, right? Mm-hmm. 12th of March. Yep. So I, uh, for, to, to close the fast, so just uh, for uh, Siri, mm. I have a pretty full on Siri. Okay. It's like a full cooked breakfast. Yeah. Uh, and the day. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's, I, I, there's no science in it. Because mm-hmm. I know after like four hours you've digested that yeah, meal yeah. and whatever, so it's more of a psychological prop to help me throughout the rest of the day. Yeah. So it's a full cooked breakfast, yeah, sausages, eggs, um, like I say, full cooked breakfast, yeah, halal, halal sausages. Oh, obviously, yeah. yeah, obviously halal. It's all halal. Yeah. There's no point because it is rabbit. <laughs> yeah. right? It would defeat the yeah. object uh, of the of uh, fasting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So full breakfast like that, a couple of pieces of toast cup of tea um, a glass of milk and a couple of glasses of water and that gets polished off 10 minutes flat and I've synthesized that particular breakfast for myself um, for the past I think yeah 10 11 years I've done it so by the end of Ramadan I can't see another sausage mm-hmm. for the whole <laughs> until the next Ramadan. next Ramadan yeah so that's my my uh, theory for the uh, for 30 odd days basically Nice. And yourself? Well, when I was with my parents, it was more like um, I think it was it was very much uh, they would cook. My mum would cook paratas, mm-hmm. and um, paratas was the general thing in the mornings. But um, it was very difficult to like you know afterwards after you've done fajr mm-hmm. to actually go to sleep after eating that sort. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, uh, and especially if you've got like um if you've got like a busy day ahead mm-hmm. it's it's really uncomfortable if you mm-hmm. haven't had a bit of sleep um but i suppose it's easier for us yeah. now because of the timing yeah. uh whilst we're in the uk you know the actual period of fasting isn't that bad i mean yeah. i remember i don't know whenever uh when it was during the summertime here that you're doing i don't know to um, me it seemed like 15 hours 15 yeah, 16 it was, hours it was long but uh, you know, we'll, we'll leave that for the for the time yeah. being. Uh, we'll come back to Monday's uh, show here in the sense of we always address uh, topics domestically and globally, and we are definitely doing global this year. Uh, sorry, this year today, I should say. Uh, what are our topics on the table for discussion? Well, the first hour we'll be discussing the UK pension age, and mm-hmm. uh, the question is, should it be raised? Um, but we're it's 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 actually going to be a discussion. Of has is it being raised, or mm-hmm. what? Why would it be raised? Mm-hmm. Why does it need to be raised if it has to be raised? Uh, that's the first hour, and in the second hour, you know, we've got a very interesting subject on the border bill that's going on in the United States um, mm-hmm. in order to s- somehow solve the migrant crisis. So that's going to be like more of a 
it's going to be a very interesting learning experience for myself and I think for yeah, myself for, as for well. You, right? yeah. I mean, we we've done our research as such uh, regarding that, and and I wonder, you know, when we talk to our guests there, yeah. whether though the idea that there is a migrant crisis is actually atypical mm. and what i mean by that is atypical to every country yeah. because you see it we have the same issue here, here yeah. or supposed issue that the yeah. government will want us to believe in uh, and the same um, is happening throughout europe so it's a big it's a big topic for domestic governments yeah. uh, here uh, in Europe and abroad, across so the, yeah, across the world, basically across yeah. the world. Uh, so let's jump into pension, you know, or the pensionable age. Should it be raised? I mean, the UK pension age currently uh, is sixty-six. Now this is set to rise to sixty-seven uh, between May twenty twenty-six and March twenty twenty-eight. So not too far away, another mm. two years away, um, and it's expected uh, from twenty forty-four. To rise to 68, but the research suggests that uh, that's not enough, mm. uh, and that anyone born after 19, <coughs> April 1970 may have to work until they're 71 before being able to claim a pension from the state. Now, uh, this age limit may need to be set even higher, say some experts, uh, thanks to the high rate of workers exiting the workforce before they actually reach. Uh, the state pensionable age, uh, predominantly due to preventable ill health. Now, by age 70, only 50% of adults in England and Wales are now disability-free and able to work. A smaller working population, uh, a large economic, uh, economically inactive population reduces the tax base to pay for pensions and creates huge labour shortages, which in itself creates uh, its problems. Now, younger people... Uh, the research has found do not have the financial assets that their parents and grandparents did. In 2010, those uh, under 40 held £7.53 of every £100 of wealth. Uh, I suppose that must mean in savings, yeah. right? In savings. Uh, by 2020, that actually had fallen. Wow. I mean, I thought the first amount was little. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, by 2020, it's to have fallen to £3.98. Well, I think it means is in terms... I'm not sure. Maybe I'm taking a silly mm. guess here, but I reckon it's more in terms of inheritance. So what you inherit from... Well, no, because I, 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 okay. You, so you think it's, you know, their yeah. inheritance. I actually think... And it's, it's the value isn't the same... But maybe I'm wrong there. Okay. I, you know, it's, it's I, 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 I think it's more so that every hundred pounds yeah. that you have, they're only saving seven hundred seven pounds fifty three. Okay. Because if you think about it, and I've seen that in terms of because I I'm I don't know what I am actually because I was born in sixty eight, uh, mm -hmm. so I'm pre millennial whatever yeah. right, uh, baby boomer I suppose right mm -hmm. from that age and currently it's. Uh, Gen Z's, right, mm -hmm. who are being born. But I personally have seen, you know, uh, generations after me, their saving uh, yeah. function yeah, seems yeah. to be less. Right. Yeah. Because we were brought up to right, save, save, save yep. uh, for a rainy day, uh, for when you want to buy a house or any major expense. So out of, it, it would be almost like um, a habit, yeah. right? But it seems to me that everything is a bit more disposable now, i.e. that 
you know, anything that you, you're earning, it just you're spending yeah, straight, straight away, straight right? Away, yep. So you don't actually have that, I suppose, it's, you know, that, that safety net of yep. having savings now. So, you know, what are, what I mean, you know, tell us and the listeners, uh, Rana, what are the key, or some of the key factors which uh, are contributing to this well, rise in pension age? Increased life expectancy expectancy is one of them. People mm-hmm. are living longer and healthier lives than in previous generations. As a result, pension systems are under strain to support retirees for a long period, leading po- leading policymakers to consider raising the pension age to ensure the sustainability of these programs. Population aging, that's, one of, that's another factor. Contr- countries are experiencing demographic changes with declining birth rates and aging po- populations. Mm-hmm. The demographic shift results in a smaller propor- proportion of working age individuals supporting a larger number of retirees. Raising the pension age helps to balance the dependency ratio and reduce uh, the financial burden on the pension systems. Financial sustainability, which is another factor. Mm-hmm. Pension systems face significantly financial challenges due to changing demographics and increased life expectancy. Raising the pension age can help mitigate these challenges by reducing the number of years retirees receive benefits and increasing the number of years they contribute to the system through continued employment. Economic pressure. In some cases, raising the pension age is driven by economic factors such as the need to reduce government spending or address budget deficits. By increasing the retirement age, governments can lower pension costs and allocate resources to other areas of need. Policy reforms. Governments may implement pension reforms as a part of broader policy initiatives aimed at modernizing social security systems or improving labor market participation. Raising the pension age may be one component. Those reforms, along with me- along with measures to promote to promote longer working lives and encourage retirement savings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've gone through um, a lot of these factors. One of the more interesting one was the economic pressures. Mm-hmm. That, that's something which I reckon... Um, well, I was I was quite taken aback by that. Um, so if but it's you, always one of those things which you can kick down or for governments yeah. to be able to, you know what, that's something that we're going to pay out, yeah. but we're going to pay out later. Yeah. No, what, what I kind of understood from this is that if they have less people, for instance, um, if it's moved to 71, mm-hmm. and if they have, well, a lot of the vast majority of the country isn't 71 yet, there's only maybe 80% that mm-hmm. it, that is under 71, 20% is over 71. So uh, if it was 65, it probably would have been 40%, I don't know, I don't know maybe 35% mm-hmm. of the country is is under 65, right? Mm-hmm. So now the government has so much more money to spend on other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it necessarily works that way because let's say a person doesn't reach the age of 71, yeah. right? So that is a massive payout mm-hmm. that... It's it's whatever their national. I mean, the thing yeah. is, if I've raised the bar, yeah, i.e., to seventy-one, and say, for instance, you're expecting to be paid out at sixty-six, yeah, that's an extra five years. Yeah, let's just talk about your ability, right? Because we know the stat: fifty percent of those who are over yeah. fifty aren't able to work, yeah. right, because of disability, uh, ill health, mm-hmm. right? So 
then what are you supposed to do from, say, for instance, you're 60, yeah. you, you have a disability, you can't work anymore, yeah. right? Or you were working prior to that. Yeah. Okay. And ill health has meant that actually I can't do manual labor anymore. Mm. Then what are you supposed to do from 60 to 71? Mm. 11 years, you can't access your pension. Yeah. So that's a real big question mark. Yeah. You know, is, is, is it fair? Um, to to have well, that kind well, of well, it, it's it, this is the question like discrimination. Uh, you could call it, it. I'm sure if you if you can't work because of a disability or um, no, but it, okay, disability. I'm sure there there are benefits yeah, for. Yeah. But say for instance, it's through ill health in the sense that actually I'm 60 because I can feel it. I'm 55. Yeah, I'm not. I just able don't to, have my. I, I'm not able to move as I as I could yeah. do as well as I could do five years ago, and that. You know, that's incremental, right? Yeah. Uh, your mobility, your ability to do more manual labor yeah, yeah, decreases with age, right? But uh, actually, we've got our first guest yeah. uh, on online to discuss more these issues. Um, we're actually joined this afternoon by Dr. Vivian Burroughs. Now, Dr. Burroughs is, uh, uh, represents International Longevity Center. She's a senior research fellow there. And before uh, joining ILC, she worked as an associate professor in economics at the University of Reading. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings be upon you, uh, Dr. Vivian Bur Burroughs. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Hello, and um, thank you for having me on your show. So we're talking about the pensionable age, and you know, is it or should it actually be raised? Uh, I mean, what are what are the key demographic and economic factors driving the consideration for increasing the pensionable age in the UK from currently uh, sixty six to ultimately uh, 68 by 2044? Yes, so the main pressures are the increases in life expectancy that mm -hmm. we've seen in the last 10 years or so. Um, and although they, those have slowed, life expectancy is still um, on an upward trajectory. So we're living longer, um, and combined with that, we're also having fewer children. Mm -hmm. So what this means is that overall, we've got a smaller working age population and an increasing population that's over the state pension age, which is putting pressures on the state pension system. Mm -hmm. But uh, something that we were just discussing now, myself and Rana, was that even though you've, or say for instance, it is supposed, uh, I think it is actually research from your center, that's saying we, we may well have to increase that age, uh, pensionable age up to 71. So my, my question would be, but you know, when you're actually, say, for instance, 66 to 71, that only is an extra five years. If you are unable to work physically, then, you know, what are you supposed to do if you can't access your, your pension at that, uh, say, for instance, at 66? Yes, that is a really good question. Um, and I would highlight... It feels oh, like you know, you're being discriminated against, right? You've Ultimately, you've been paying, because I think with national insurance contributions, you have to pay, is it 35 or 39 years uh, to yes, get a state 35. pension? Yeah, 35 years. So, you know, yeah. if, say, for instance, you, you've got a job, per se, you know, in your 20s, you've already been paying into the state pension pot for the best part of... Uh, 45 years, 40, 46 years to be precise, and then you're still yes. not able to access it. So it would seem a bit unfair if you're in that situation. Yes. I mean, two things I would highlight. So one is that with 
any of the government changes in the state pension age. Um, they follow a principle where they give a minimum of 10 years warning effectively before implementing a policy, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is not, you know, longer would be better, but this is to allow people to, to plan as best as possible for their retirement. Um, but the other point that you rightly noted is has to do with poor health. Um, and this is where I'd say that, you know, increasing or, or keeping the state pension age under review is one policy. Um, but there are also other policies that we need to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as you've rightly pointed out, poor health is a significant barrier. Um, and if we increase the state pension age without investing in preventing ill health and supporting workers with health issues, then we risk not just worsening health inequalities across the UK, but also pushing more people into poverty. Um, so I would emphasize that, and I think you mentioned this earlier on the show, that changing the state pension age is just one component or one policy. And there are other things that, that sorry, governments need to be doing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So how might increasing the pension age impact different segments of the population, such as those in physically demanding jobs or with lower life expectancies? Yes, so that's a really good point. And that comes back to this issue of inequalities because we've seen increases in average life expectancy. Of course, these averages um, sort of mask huge variations and we see massive variations, not just between the north and south of the country, but also within regions. Um, And so there is a potential that um, increasing the state pension age is going to have a far more negative impact on people um, with poor health who are unable to work, who need to sort of drop out of the labour market earlier. Mm. Um, and in fact, um, so obviously if, and I think you mentioned this as well earlier on the show, that if you have a disability, you are entitled to disability benefits, but these mm. are typically lower than the state pension benefits that individuals get. Mm-hmm. Um, so by yeah, so by raising the state pension age without implementing other, um, other policies um, that work alongside this and that help um, improve the population's health and reduce some of these inequalities in life expectancy, um, then yes, you just you risk making inequality um, overall worse for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about uh, alternative policies, right? I mean, what are those alternative policies? As not just using as if you were the government, you know, this uh, just raising the the the, the actual age of uh, the pension scheme up to 71. I mean, what are the alternative measures and policies that could address you know, these challenges that, which are posed by our ageing population? Yes. So I think one very important policy has to do with investing in health mm-hmm. and not just in treating our health, but also investing as much as possible in prevention. Um, and this is something that IRC, um, the organisation I work for, has been calling for for a long time um, to try and and ensure not just that we're living longer, but that we're living healthier lives as well, and, and that we stay healthy for longer. Um, I think other policies that are also important are ones that enable people to stay in work for longer, but mm-hmm. also allow people to return to work later in life if they want to. Um, so, for example, and I think you mentioned the point about people in, in physically demanding jobs, yeah. which not only affects your health, but... Um, also, as you get older, it becomes harder to do these jobs. Um, so I think it's important to have policies that allow people to retrain and move into jobs that are perhaps better suited to 
to the sort of their their abilities and their needs later in life. Um, but I think we also need policies that look at tackling age discrimination in the workplace because mm. it's still incredibly difficult for someone who, for whatever reason, ends up out of work in say the even mid to late fifties. It can be much much harder to get back into work. So I think we need to we need to focus on all of these areas, not just on sort of increasing the state pension age and, and trying to get people to work for longer. Yeah, because the thing is, Dr. Burroughs, I mean, when you look around, say, for instance, in our society here in the UK, and I've noticed it in the past decade that you do uh, see more, say, 50 pluses, right, um, yeah. in supermarkets, for instance, right? Um, but, you know, doing the jobs where maybe a decade, uh, if not more than like maybe two decades ago, that you would just expect um, school leavers to be doing, you know, filling up uh, shelves, picking orders, you know, all these things. Yeah. And th- there has been that move and that, I suppose, repositioning of, say, for instance, maybe you've you've taken early retirement or you're not able to do your previous job, but now you've moved into say, for instance, these more service-orientated jobs. But even still, it does take a physical toll because that's all I'm thinking of. Because once you hit 50, your health, no matter how uh, well you yourself are looking after yourself, i.e. with your nutrition levels, with your exercise levels, it, it becomes a harder proposition to keep healthy, even though you have you know good intent. Uh, yeah. It is harder. It's just physically harder. Uh, that's how I suppose your yeah, humans are made. Really, mm. we're we're just made to I suppose deteriorate over time. Yeah. Ultimately, you know that one thing which unites us all is that we all will kind of meet our maker one day, um, but hopefully not before seventy one because you wouldn't get your pension. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, yeah you know um, th- th- that's what that's what actually yeah I'm thinking of because you know if the government is not willing or there isn't that political will to invest in say for instance uh, this uh, job schemes and retraining yeah. for uh, the elderly then really it's a bit of a, a moot point yes and i think you're absolutely right and i would i would in fact for me i would think of any a lot of these service jobs are working in supermarkets particularly stocking shelves um working in retail I would consider that on the maybe not the most physically demanding, but definitely mm-hmm. physically demanding. Um, yeah, because you have to be on your I, feet all the time, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I worked in a cafe for about three years, and it's mm. it's perhaps one of the most exhausting jobs. And I was in my twenties then, and I found it found it hard going. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's physically demanding being on your feet yes. literally without a break for twelve hours, right? Yes. Yeah. And this is where I think you're right. So it's it's about thinking about what other types of work can people do that doesn't that, that isn't that physically demanding and how can we um, support people in transitioning into those jobs and developing the skills that they need to, to do well in them mm-hmm. um, because of course as an older person you've got a vast amount of not just work experience but the skills the knowledge that you've accumulated mm-hmm. over the course of your life and there are so many different areas in which that can be applied um, and I think what we're lacking at the moment a bit is that that support to, to get people to think about how they can apply their knowledge and skills in different areas and sort of help fill gaps where where necessary mm-hmm. um, so what yeah. lessons can be learned from from other countries that have already implemented increases in their pension ages 
Um, so I think, as far as I know, I don't think any country has gone quite as far as, as I think the proposal you're discussing of raising the state pension age to 71. Yeah. Um, most European countries so, and other Western countries, in fact, are, are struggling with this problem of, of people living longer, so aging populations. Most are, have increased their state pension age or have it under review. Um, I think one country that's quite interesting to look at in this context is Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, so Portugal has one of the most rapidly aging populations in Europe alongside Italy and Greece. Um, their state pension age at the moment is the same as in the UK. So mm-hmm. it's 66 for both men and women, but they have it sort of linked to changes in life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So if life expectancy goes up by more than a certain amount, then they adjust the state pension age. Mm-hmm. But equally, if, if life expectancy falls, the pension age gets adjusted downwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've recently implemented, um, as recently as, as last year, actually, no, November, this uh, National Action Plan for Active and Healthy Aging, which aims to take a sort of holistic approach. So I'm not just looking at the sort of employment and income, so getting people working longer mm-hmm. aspect, but thinking about our lives as a whole. So looking at um, our health and well-being, looking at our sort of social civic participation, looking at the communities in which we live, our housing, mm-hmm. and trying to come up with different policies or policies that work together to sort of support our, our sort of our lives as we live longer as a whole, and not just focusing on that sort of one aspect of, of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Vivian Burrows. It's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us uh, and spending time with us here at the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. 0208 687 7878 or or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. I mean, one of the things that has come to my mind is it's a bit unfair, really, right? Because, and I understand, you know, there are economic pressures, i.e., you know, you've got a decreasing workforce because fertility rates are, mm. are lowering. And that's not just here in the UK. That's across the board, mm. right? I think uh, in terms of positive uh, fertility rates, um, I think India is just most probably one of the only countries, right? Even China, mm. right? You know, these Asiatic countries, Japan for decades now has got a lowering in, in, uh, in, uh, fertility rate, yeah. which puts pressure on the the fact that actually we don't have people to do the work mm. right um who are coming f- through okay those age cohorts yeah. uh and then you've got an aging population because you've got life expectancies higher yeah. then the logical solution is well actually you have to work till you're 71 yeah look for longer which is fine i understand that rationale but then yeah i don't personally say for instance in the uk see so many policies that the government has been putting out whereby it's you know encouraging uh, or helping out that much uh, in terms of retraining mm. uh, getting you into uh, jobs whereby because one of the points that uh, dr burrows was like saying is that you know at the age 50 you'd you or 50 plus say you're in your in your, your 60s you've accumulated a lot of life experience by that point and you know god willing um you impart that knowledge to start off with with your family members with your extended family and your associates you know your 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 colleagues at work but once you come out of that you know maybe your previous work you know you've you've 
you know, come to the end of your work or your career life mm. lifetime there. So then you start again. How and where do you go? I mean, to my mind, it would be like, well, where can you go and work and not actually be physically taxed? Yeah. I.e. manual labor because you wouldn't expect. Okay, I'm gonna say, for instance, I've worked uh, a, a white collar job, i.e. an office job, for the past fifty odd years. They've made me redundant, but I can't get my state pension, so I still have to work. Yeah. I'm not going to suddenly go out and become a roofer mm-hmm. or a builder. So I'd want to do something which is much more mentally using using the the wisdom or the experience that I've had. Maybe something like teaching, for instance. Yeah, you, um, you, you know, for uh, I was if I look at it from my own point of view, it seems like um, you know it's good to be a, th- a theologian or a preacher or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's 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 useful in that sense because um, you know that is, it is pretty much as as you would say like a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so you 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 can go back into that. Other stuff I would say is um, if you're into the arts. Um, you know, writing isn't something. Well, the writing is more like a hobby, right? It's not like mm. it's a guaranteed sort of. Profess- but this, this yeah. is it, right? I mean, where do you think our society is going? Mm. Uh, in the sense of, you know, if you look at the golden ages of the big empires, yeah. right? Say even the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. You know, the height of uh, Islamic culture at that yeah. time, right? Uh, whereby you had scientific discovery, you had arts mm. you had writing right and it seems to me that where we are in society nowadays that it's more about and i and i appreciate right we're only a couple of years well four years out of covid yeah a global pandemic that we don't seem to have that necessity that arts and hum- humanities or you know that 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 kind of that well we need to have arts we need to have writing we need to listen to poetry we need to have that side of us yeah mm. um, in society as much as we say for instance did do maybe 10, 10 15 years ago yeah. I don't know maybe that's just me I mean look it's um, pe- people are more uh, you know they they want something guaranteed in terms of um, financial income i would suppose right and um you know what is the guarantee that you if, if for instance if you're an artist or you're a writer or you're a poet for instance what is what is that that guarantee that you're going to be so successful that that is going to be your so that's that comes back to my point about yep. you know the government right has to think for us as well you know they're the ones who are in charge yep. of our country right so is it just that we need to be pumping out accountants, yeah, bankers, people of industry? I'm not saying that they're not necessary, yes. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, you know, if you were to ask a nutritionist, right, okay, I'm going to just eat proteins. Fine. Mm. But is that a balanced diet? Mm. It's not, is it, it is right? Not. And, you know, in Islam, we promote... You know, Islam is the you know, is a religion, religion of peace yeah. and it's the religion of the middle path, right? It's not to be extreme. So, yeah, I find that where we are in society nowadays, and this is like an indicator, mm. is that actually we're becoming a bit more extreme. Yeah. Yeah, that actually, like, and to coin a phrase, exactly what you've just said, whether you are an art writer, an artist, 
in the back of your mind is like, how am I paying my rent check? Yeah. And that's the big question, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Once right? you have something in, in uh, you know, I, I've always felt that these sort of things are not something that you would just pursue as a career if you don't have anything safe to fall upon, okay? Mm -hmm. So I've always felt that... Our, uh, but why isn't that safe? That's, that's yeah. my thing, is like, why isn't that safe? Why hasn't that got the merit, right? As, say, for instance, you know, a career-wise, um, you know, a builder, yeah. right? A chef, a banker versus an artist yeah i, I yeah you, 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 a writer. I'm a, yeah i'm a poet yeah you know, well you can always uh you you know you, you you would always think that there's probably thousands of writers that want to get their books published at maybe bloomberg or mm. penguin or they've always you know they've got so many writers it's the the lucky 10 out of a thousand that mm -hmm. will have their books published and out of those 10 uh, well if they've been published by those sort of um publication houses then they should be selling but you know, there's no guarantee that they would be selling yeah, like, like, um, for instance, J.K. Rowling or you mm -hmm. know these like modern contemporary. I suppose the point yeah. you're making is that it's, it's easier to um, pick a career yeah. whereby it's a trade, yeah. and you know, right? You know, if it all goes belly up, yeah. I can still you know feed myself, yeah. feed my family. You know, uh, if you're like, for instance, but Jane Austen era, right? You're right. in the 1900s. You've got no problems in regards to paying your bills you know you're a widow single lady for instance not mm. single but jane austen is more pretty much married women right mm. so uh, they've got the whole day to themselves and um you know that's but then that comes from class yeah that yeah, was privilege that, that's back exactly day, right class and privilege yeah. might give you the you know entitlement to go and go ahead and take the risks in mm. writing because it's not a risk then mm -hmm. but in terms of uh, if you don't come from that sort of class um your parents yeah, are gonna, grind, yeah. Your right? your parents are not going to be one. Well, I don't know about everyone's parents, but mm. I know that from most uh, from from a cultural point of view, mm -hmm. uh, they would rather you have some sort of secure um, way of earning. Yes, yeah, secure yeah. income. Anyway, I think we're, we're kind of like going a bit tangent, yeah. going off the the <laughs> off the, road. The, the, ro ro yeah. the road there. Uh, to bring us back, we've got our next guest of the day. Uh, we're joined by Sally West. Now, Sally is a policy manager at Age UK. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Sally. Thank you for joining us here on the Drive Time Show. Oh, thank you. And very nice to be here. Um, so we're talking about the uh, pension or the age, the pension age, should it be increased? I mean, how does Age UK uh, perceive these recent changes in the pension age? And what impact do you believe uh, it has on older adults? Well, we know that the state pension is such an important part of income mm -hmm. for most people. And you've just been talking about, I just heard the end of your conversation when you were talking about, you know, life for some people, it's harder to earn a good living. Mm -hmm. If you don't come from a you know, well-off background, if you haven't got a, um, a decent professional job with a, with a good pension. So and, you were listening you know, to us rambling <laughs> on. about Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear all of it, but it sounded like a very interesting conversation. Um, but I mean, I thought it led on quite nicely to to what we're talking about now, because mm. you know, if if your job you haven't had a secure job all your life, it's harder to build up private pensions. So you're probably yeah. very reliant on your state pension, and so that means you know your your income in later life or when you can actually leave work um, very much depends on your state pension. And the problem is that currently, I don't know if you know, the state pension is 66 at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but there's many people that 
even working up to 66 is really hard. You mm. know, if you've got caring responsibilities or you've got health issues, you know, particularly if you've been in a maybe a a, a job that's quite a manual manual job or mm. something. So so it's difficult sometimes for people to work to 66. And we we were very worried when there were some recent reports where somebody was suggesting the state pension should go up, you know, much higher than that and, and go up quite quickly. So so we're very keen that the focus should be on supporting people with those years up to state pension age, make, make sure people can work if they're able to or get support if they can't. We think that needs to be the first priority, not trying to make people wait even longer. Yeah, because it's it's like, yeah, you've moved the goalposts, right? And it's not just that it's an easy move because like you say, yeah, depending upon what your uh what your skill set is or what your job is, if it's a physically demanding job, say for instance, you're outside, you're a builder, you're a roofer, are you able to do that until the age 66? Yeah, I think I think that isn't possible. I mean, some people and perhaps change careers change mm-hmm. jobs um but you know that's not easy to do and you need the kind of support to do that sometimes people need help to increase their digital skills mm-hmm. you know some jobs you probably may not have used the internet a great deal and yet you're perhaps expected to another job so so you know support and training for people who who perhaps can can keep working or maybe change their jobs but but you know it isn't always possible yes you perhaps has an injury at work or or jobs involving sort of standing a lot you know carers I remember some we were talking to somebody saying that she was a carer in her kind of you know, 50s it's it's a hard physical job this is a professional you know work caring as a as a job um you know she liked her job but she said I don't know how I'm going to carry on doing this until 66 because you're lifting people you're you know you're needing it's a it's a figure it's a physical job so so yes yeah, so it's it's possible for some people to keep working and some people want to, but it's not something that everybody can do. Mm. So what recommendations does Age UK have for policymakers to ensure that changes in pension age are fair and equitable for all older adults? Well, we don't want to see any changes. We don't want to see the programme for increasing state pension age um, speeded up at all. Unless first, well, the first thing I think is they've got to, um, address the sort of inequalities mm-hmm. because we, we've been talking about some of the difficulties that, that some people have um, and you know people of certain jobs, people of certain parts of the country, people of certain backgrounds um, sadly have a lower life expectancy than than people from other areas with other backgrounds and you know that should be the priority for the government to make sure that that sort of later life is a bit more is a bit more equal um, and then as I say look at you know, how can we support people a bit more to perhaps stay in work for a bit longer if they're able to, but also looking at the, the benefit system for those people who who perhaps just can't work. You know, maybe, you know, somebody who's caring, caring for your mother or father maybe in your 60s, hard physical work and emotionally difficult mm. as well, much though, you, you know, many people really want to do that. Mm. But people get very little support very little to live on while they're doing that. So so looking at addressing those things is what we'd really like government or, or the next government to be looking at. Mm. I mean, so how does your organisation, Sally, Age UK, support individuals who may be affected by changes in pension age uh, and particularly those who may need to adjust their retirement plans then? Well, 
I think one thing that we have is is information and advice services. So mm-hmm. um, we can help people look at, or I suppose navigate what are sometimes complicated systems. So if somebody's had to leave work for a carer, or perhaps an older carer, um, we can help them make sure that uh, they're receiving any benefits that they're entitled to understand how to use the system, um, or whether there's any perhaps care support to help the person that you're caring for to give you a break. So. So in terms of sort of direct help, probably what, what we're looking at is, is the information advice. And then the other thing that we do, which we're talking about now, is, is we kind of, um, you know, ask lobbying the government and trying to, trying to get the sort of systems to work better um, to, make, to make things a bit easier for people. Mm, excellent. Well, Sally, it's been a pleasure speaking to you this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Oh, thank you very much. Thank it's you very much. Talking. Have a good day. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And we've got a, a Instagram story or Insta story, whatever you want to call it. Uh, very binary. It's a yes or no. Uh, should the state pension age be raised? And uh, wow, what a teeter it is. Um, what, what's the answer to that? I mean, we well, don't I'm actually. I'm not know sure what how many people have actually voted, but it, it could just be me and you, and one <laughs> says true. yes and two. So it's, no, but actually, it's fifty-fifty. But um, oh, okay, you know, uh, maybe you maybe okay. maybe you, there could be lots of people who are conflicted. Yeah, so, so, so do, we don't know. Do you reckon, right? Because it's fifty-fifty. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the actual uh, socio-demographic is currently in the in in the UK. Yeah. Uh, so, i.e., I, I would have thought. It's stacked to the 50s, 60s, 70s, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that is the bigger um, percentage of the population, right? Uh, okay. And then those like 40, 30, 20s are smaller mm-hmm. in terms of percentage of the whole population. I don't know, right? Maybe a caller who is a statistician yeah. with the ONS can call in 0208 687 and let us know. But I would feel that that is the case, right? Because we have an aging and a longer life expectancy and an aging population. So maybe, you know, it's it's a case of with the youngsters or the younger generation. I mean, if you're 40, you're still thinking, you know, a state pension is a long way off, right? Minimum is, you know, quarter of a century away, mm. right? It's 26 years. Uh, and by the time I get to my 60s, they might have changed it again, right? Mm. So they've added another five years on. They moved it to like 80. Yeah, you, you don't <laughs> you know. know. You don't know because... And in my mind, I'm like thinking, well, actually, you know how God has ordained things, and He's the planner, He's the He's the creator, yeah. right? So now we have the, I suppose the the the, the formation, right, mm. of AI. Yeah, and it is only the last couple of years that AI, in, in terms of, you know, thinking out things, helping you out. I use ChatGPT, mm. right? Uh, but it's such a powerful tool, and it's only as good as you know, how you use that tool. Mm. But obviously, a lot of mechanical and manual things uh, being... repeti- uh, repeti- yep. repetitious work can be automated now. Automated now, yep. And I remember back in the 80s that um, when you had these automated factories making yep. cars, there was a big uproar and cry against them because, oh, you know what, what's going to happen to us? But then this is, this is the yeah, this is the question, isn't it? So um, you know, for instance, with with the advancement of time, and as you've said, that a lot of these uh, things are now being automated. Um, so what is the work 
that you do that actually leads to that pension pot that you're hoping yeah. to receive earlier, right? So, um, well, <laughs> maybe we have to think that you know technology is is a curse rather than it's actually a. Well, no, I think it will come again. It's like a full circle. Yeah. It's like all things in life. Yeah, God's like ordained that it's cyclical, right? Mm. And we'll see these cycles um, happening, uh, and you know, bringing it back actually. You know, what does Islam teach us about taking care of relatives in uh, in, in, in our elderly age? Yeah. You know, does it say anything specifically? I well, think it does. Uh, the Holy Prophet says, if a young man honors an elderly on account of his age, Allah appoints someone to honor him in his old age. Mm. So, um, he, you know, the Prophet was, uh, the Prophet sallallahu and peace and blessings upon him, was a very, um, you know, he, he was a very wise person and uh, he was a great teacher for the um for, for those who wanted to learn from him mm. and uh without a doubt he's given you know excellent advice in the sense that you know it's it is indeed a re- repetitious circle as you mentioned mm. that you will you, as you sow shall you reap it's not like exactly he's not said this phrase in that sense mm. but he is giving you know key advice that um you know this is the the society we should be looking to build mm. where you know your parents are going to be um you know the way you are dependent on your children, uh, your your parents, the way you as a child depended on your parents to take care of you, mm. there would be a time where those parents would one day uh, be depend on you, yeah. depend on you as well. That's that is, and I it's mean, a continuous circle. I keep on thinking Lion, Lion King. Yeah, it's yeah. the circle of life. It's the circle it? of life. It really yeah, is. is. But uh, we're joined by our next guest of the day, Dr. Faiza uh, Zafar, uh, to speak more regarding this. Uh, Assalamualaikum, uh, and and actually I should give her a, a proper intro. Dr. Pfizer is a, a GP and GP trainer, and she is working currently in Southwest London. Assalamualaikum, peace and blessings be upon you, Dr. Zafar. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. So we're talking about the pension age, and is it fair, or you know, should should it be increased? I mean, are there specific health concerns? Uh, that may be exacerbated by working longer, uh, be, you know, longer before retirement. Um, I think it's a long debate. Actually, I'll try mm. to um, just kind of briefly describe. Um, <clears throat> there are a pros and cons for um, working longer. Uh, actually, um, some people who are um, suffering from long-term health condition, either physical or mental. Um, those mental health conditions can become worse if they are working longer um, because they are struggling, they already have stress at work and that can make things worse. Uh, but on the other hand, um, if you're not working, if you're staying at home and you have no one to look after you or you live on your own, um, then work is actually beneficial because you meet other people mm-hmm. um, and that can be beneficial for your mental health. So in that way, for those patients who live on their own, then actually working longer might be good for their mental health. So I think it's difficult to say like um, a blanket kind of term that Mm. is it good or bad. Um, But yes, it it might be beneficial for some people, but might might not be good for others. Yeah, it's like it's not just one key for every lock. You know, everyone's got their individual things. I mean, I think yeah. how how patient. can healthcare providers assist patients in adapting to longer working lives and maintaining their health during extended careers? 
I think the, the main thing again is the first question, like what what can be the problems, or um, and then we can focus on the those. So, um, if, if we are looking at mental health problems, then of course, the, um, as a healthcare professional, um, we always tell even to young people that uh, keep a balance between your work and home life. Um, and try to do like regular physical activity every day, try to connect with people. Hmm. Um, and um, um, I always say to my patient that try to look at positive things in your life and, and thanks to God, because now the recent studies have shown that um, um, if you are grateful um, for whatever you have got and then um, um, stay positive, then that's really good for your mental health. So um, uh, I think... If, um, uh, as a healthcare professional, we make sure that um, we um, make our patients aware about their um, mental health rather than talking about mental health problems, but actually uh, making increasing the awareness about mental health, um, that would be helpful. And uh, secondarily, uh, about physical health, if we focus on health prevention, um, that's really important because um, there are lots of long-term health conditions which increases with age, um, like high blood pressure, heart problems, um, and diabetes, um, arthritis. So these are the conditions which increase with age. So if we focus on health prevention and people look at their healthy lifestyle um, and those who are at high risk, they um, uh, focus on their health uh, before actually developing these diseases, then, of course, they, it will be beneficial when they're working um, in their older age. They will um, not be suffering with complications of all these health problems. Mm. So uh, as a question, uh, Dr. Pfizer, have you found over your, your, your career as a GP that, you know, that you, you're, the demographic that's coming into your surgery mm. has um, increased in terms of uh, percentage of, say, the population, uh, you know, to, to like the upper scales of the age. So say, for instance, you know, you've, you're seeing more 50, 60, 70 year olds. Uh, and, that, and that actually that, that you mean while working. Sorry, yeah, whilst you. working. So how, you know, I mean, and have they come in saying that, look, you know what, what can I do? Do you need to, what I'm trying to get to is, do you need to actually say to them or is it or is it they are instigating that conversation? Like saying, look, you know what, I realise... Sorry, it seems I, like there's I, I a can't... problem with the connection. Your voice is very interrupted. Oh, sorry. Um, so the question I, I really kind of like scrabbling to get to is that, do you find with your patients that it is actually the patient who is instigating the inquiry into the sense that, look, you know what? Hello, can you hear me? Because I, I really can't hear you at all. Yeah, we, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Hello? Dr. Zafar, can you hear us? Hello? I think I'm going to try reconnecting. Sorry. Yeah, we'll try reconnecting uh, with her in a minute. But, yeah, what I was going to try and ask her was that, you know, would you think that um, you would instigate that question to your GP? The question of? Well, the question that, look, you know what, I'm, I'm in my 50s, right? Yeah. How can I maintain i mean normally okay you go to your gp how you, can i maintain myself until yeah, the age and in of fact, 60 actually not just maintain but try and improve my health improve your health well 
you know, because usually it's more of a um, the GP is telling you, right? Yeah. You've only, I know from my experience, I've only ever gone to the GP when I've got an ache, pain, or whatever, and it's never been prevention. Yeah. It's been cure. So, so the goal here is for you and the GP. It's a GP as well, right? That let's somehow get to the age of um, seventy, if yeah. that's the if that's the thing. So, um, well, yeah, this is a newfound basis for newfound research, I would suppose, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is what we need to know of how uh, to maintain, uh, physically keep ourselves, or even even as Dr. Pfizer kept on referring to, mentally keep ourselves maintained to the point where you um, you know you are motivated to stay um, working. Whilst your body is 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 uh, diminishing, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, they, you know, these there are there are a lot of questions we've actually tried to answer in this whole discussion. Mm. But um, I think we've got Doctor Faisal yeah, back she's online. Back That's good. Wassalamualaikum. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Some technical thing. Actually, just briefly, my my question was, um, yeah, what advice do you have for individuals uh, who are actually approaching retirement age? Uh, in terms of managing their health and well-being uh, amidst you know having to you know increase their workload effectively so um uh, i think um as i was saying earlier that um focus should be both on physical and mental health mm -hmm. so as you get older um and you're coming to the retirement age um your bones are getting weaker um and overall your health is getting like it's aging process, it's a normal natural process of aging. So your all the organs of the body are getting a bit weak. So to keep you going, it's very important that you um, maintain like a regular physical activity, regular walk, eat healthy, and then stay connected with others. So that's something very important for mental health. Mm -hmm. um, just meet, keeping a quick chat with your friends or um, joining a community center. I think we are very blessed um, being a family Muslim, we can like go to the mosque for prayer and then chit chat with other people. But I always tell my patients that they can go to church, um, they can go to community center um, and uh, meeting other people. So, um, you know, loneliness is, is one of the main uh, risk factors as well, which can affect your mental health. So, mm -hmm. I think this is one thing I always tell my patients. Mm -hmm. um, excellent advice there. Um, that's been a pleasure speaking to you. This afternoon, Dr. Pfizer, thank you very much for joining us on the Drive Time Show. Thank you so much for having me. Zakhala. Zakhala. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, and, you know, we were talking just before Dr. Pfizer joined us regarding Islam and what that teaches us. Now, Islam teaches Muslims to take care of their relatives who may be less fortunate than themselves, thus encouraging the distribution of wealth. And that's not just about the distribution of wealth. It's about also taking care of the, you know, the elderly mm. uh, in your own family, in your extended family. Now, the Holy Quran in verse 2, chapter uh, 216 says, They ask thee what they shall spend. Say, whatever good and abundant wealth you spend should be for parents and near relatives and orphans and the needy and the wayfarer. And whatever good you do, surely Allah knows it perfectly well. And, you know, in that verse, it encapsulates the fact that, you know, although it's, it is incumbent, mm. and, you know, with this, like, increasing in retirement age, we will be working, or yeah. we will have to work yeah. longer now, right? But ultimately, 
we and I think it's something that a uh, point that Dr. Pfizer was bringing up. We need to have support. Yes. Right. And that support comes first and foremost community. from your community, well, yeah. your family, family and your community yes. and your bond to ultimately your creator. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, you know, they I, I remember there was this one uh, quote I once heard. Um, there was a person who said that anyone who doesn't have anyone in this life, they shouldn't think of it like that because they always have God. Mm-hmm. So um, God is, you know, in, if we're specifically uh, speaking in terms of mental health as well, um, you know, you might end up in life where you're at this point where you, f- with with the passage of time, that you are feeling lonely. But you mm-hmm. should always remember that, uh, no, as long as you can, can continue to build that connection with God, uh, mm-hmm. you will never be lonely. Yeah, you'll so, never be lonely. Yeah, I guess God, the, God is. This, yeah. I mean, there's 99 attributes. Yeah. Right. Uh, of God and you know one of them is that he is the sustainer yeah. he is your nourisher right yeah. and from him you know you can all things come from God anyway yeah. but with that uh, we'll go to a short break uh, stay with us we're going to go to the five o'clock news stay with us as we come back after the news with the US border bill Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Talib Man, and Imam Rana Atta. So, in the first hour, we dealt with uh, the pension age. Uh, is it fair? Should it be um, raised? We're moving into our second hour. We'll be talking now about the border bill, the U.S. border bill. And will it actually solve the migrant crisis in the U.S.? Now, in an attempt to reduce illegal border crossings, uh, Republicans had demanded the border or had demanded the uh, the border security bill. It is said that some of their members helped craft this deal where they demanded foreign aid package with assistance for the Ukraine and Israel, but once presented, uh, only four Senate Republicans voted for it. It is said that Donald Trump is against this deal as he wants to use the border security issue uh, in his campaign against Joe Biden. Uh, as he tries to run for presidency again uh, in November. Some Democrats are also not in favour as they feel this bill is tough on border security and does not tackle immigration reform. Join us as we discuss uh, in this segment the issues regarding this bill. I mean, does it stand a chance to be passed? Uh, How are 
guests from the states uh, feel about it, um, and you know, shed some light as to the Islamic viewpoint regarding migration and the rights and responsibilities of uh, refugees. I mean, what is the actual current problem? Well. The current Rana. problem is that the American Immigration Council has published an analysis of the Senate uh, Senate border bill. That's not the problem. That's just a okay. comment. Right? <laughs> uh, they present the problem with the U.S. system of border management and humanitarian protection as to much rely uh, as to much reliance on temporary crackdowns. Mm-hmm. We are currently in the midst of a glo- global refugee crisis. The number of people who are apprehended by border patrol agents on the USA uh, on the US Mexico border most of whom turn themselves in has hit levels never seen before millions of people at physical risk in their home countries or left them facing an unstable future in un- in an unstable country existing infrastructure laws and policies are not sufficient to process people assesses uh, assess any claims for protection efficiently and fairly or allow them to support themselves in the United States while waiting for a decision on their cases. Instead, communities along the border and in the interior and the US have been forced uh, to accommodate larger numbers of new arrivals without uh, without coordination and federal government. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm really in uncharted territory here yeah. as regards to that. And I'm wondering, you know, when we get our uh, guests from the States over uh, joining us uh, a bit a little later in the show, um, whether they obviously they will shed light on this subject. But it'll be interesting to see if the U.S. take on migration or immigration is very similar to our own. Mm. Um, I mean, what's your opinion? regarding not the US but say for instance do you okay let me pose you a question yeah. Rana do you think it's a really big issue migration uh for the UK yes i think it is right, okay. uh, i think it is because um i i would you know good or bad look I, I think it should be at the moment i'm not i'm not like i can't say if it's if it's bad but i i I find some things which I don't uh, quite agree with. Okay, right. so uh, I, I I would it, so in that sense it's it's not fair, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. What do you uh, mean? It's not fair. You, so you think that it's a good thing to have migration? It, it's it's a good thing to right, have it, okay. but it has to be uh, equal in terms of uh, all across the the globe. Okay, so mm-hmm. if people want to move uh, from, for instance, the subcontinent or from Asia to the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to have had the same hurdles. Uh, so, so they they have so many more hurdles as compared to someone who wants to move from Europe to um, England. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're different cultures. Okay, so for instance, if you're if you're from Ukraine, okay, mm-hmm. or Poland, y- yes, you might have some similarities in culture. But you're, it's a different language, it's a different way of life, it's a different way as compared to the United Kingdom. That's the same, I would say, okay, Pakistan is an Islamically based country, but not India. India has uh, cultural traits which they can also, um, you know, they could say that these are the same as, you know, British traits. Mm-hmm. So why do they have to have so many more difficulties in uh, migration and settling Whereas compared to the to these countries, I'm not being like I'm not. I don't. Are I, you saying say there should instance, not be any racial difference? So so yeah. so what you're saying is that you you view the immigration p- 
policies here, for instance, in the yeah. UK, to be a bit discriminatory. I, I do a hundred percent, and I and I got this impression. Um, I would say uh, when my so first... do you think do you think okay so okay fine, I've got my answer to that. Yeah. You think it's a bit discriminatory? It's a good migration. A per se is a good thing, right? Yeah. B. Although that is a good thing, it needs to be regulated. Yeah. But in the regulation of that immigration, that migration, it has to be fair and equitable. Fair, exactly. Uh, as opposed to being what you think is currently a bit discriminatory. I 100% believe right? that, Right. Yeah. Now, going back to something that you just, just mentioned, you mentioned Pakistan and India. Mm. So do you think there is a, 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 dis, um, a distinction between the two? Yeah, it is because... Um, Coming into the UK. Yeah, the, the the thing is, sorry, uh, I'm a bit being a bit no, kind no, of no, like devil's I, I, advocate. I, I, I'm it's it's fine. It's, it's, it's totally fine. Um, look, I don't know what the um, the you know how, it, are there more people in India who can actually afford to try their hand at migrating to the United Kingdom as compared mm-hmm. to uh, Pakistan? I, I obviously India is a far bigger country. Mm-hmm. Their um, GDP is is definitely way better than um, than Pakistan's as well. So. There would be a lot more people, and especially a lot more uh, wealthier people in India, who uh, find it a bit more, uh, you know, who who would who would actually be more successful in terms of um, uh, getting the immigration to the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Pakistan, I think, look, uh, th- that class of people is different, but there are other issues such as, um, uh, and it could be the same in India as well. Uh, the for instance, a lot of the Ahmadi community mm-hmm. uh, from Pakistan. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's like not not everyone, but you know, persecution is a massive mm-hmm. reason why uh, the Ahmadi community has been managed. Yeah, to, because we we have to make yeah. a distinction. I'm I'm talking about my migration yeah. here. The issue of refugees yeah. is a separate but, thing. But, but right? persecution isn't. Uh, I, I don't know if it, it gives you refugee status, but it obviously gives you. Uh, it eventually, yeah. Leads no, you to I, I can. I can yeah. look. If I feel that, regardless of whichever country, yeah. right, my my host or my country that I'm living in, yeah, is persecuting me yeah. for what my race, religion, color, yeah. Then I can leave that country exactly and claim exactly asylum in a different country. Yeah. So right? the, the thing is, look, um, that's every individual's right. Exactly. So coming back to your question, I would say that look, it's um, it, def- it depends on economic um, it, 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 the economic status of both countries, and I believe that India, uh, due to its vastly stronger economic status as compared mm-hmm. to Pakistan. There, uh, the, the the population is more likely, or there is a larger amount of the population that is likely to migrate across the world. I believe that's the case, anyways, mm. right? So, um, you know, th- yeah, because they they migrate in terms of whether it be uh, economic yeah. migration. You, yeah, you know, to I'll, find. I'll give you something very interesting. Okay, okay. just uh, sorry to cut you off there. If India is playing a cricket match, mm-hmm. they could play a cricket match on Mars and they would still have a sold-out <laughs> stadium. Literally, that's how, you know, they could play anywhere yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. They would get sold-out stadiums because people, their 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 population has done it brilliantly. They've, they've managed to uh, migrate or immigrate mm-hmm. out of India in whatever ways they have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit like the Chinese from the Canton area, yeah. right, in China. You'll find them everywhere, Yeah. right? Um, and 
you know and this this is this is but are they more like in terms of tourism or in terms of no but look we're talking about migration yeah, here migration right? now migration tourism. no not tourism yeah. but in terms of migration it's look the world we we, we are all migrants yeah. to to some um extent right uh my parents originally from hong kong mm. right so they migrated here and they migrated here in the 50s yeah for what for a better opportunity it wasn't the fact that yes they were farmers they were peasant farmers back in hong kong yeah but they wanted a better opportunity yeah. for their offspring so yes. that's what we do right we migrate now now have we reached a situation in politics global politics that the idea of migration and illegal migration has become so big that it's the forum whereby you will win an election right mm. as to how you tackle your borders or how you keep your borders secure yeah. okay how you keep your people happy from the exactly. your okay your your constituents right not people your constituents happy mm. with with uh th- stopping uh, mm. p- people that are not really us mm-hmm. moving into your your country that's but that, that, that could that, to, could help that you to me it. is such a and, I, and that's what i want to know about you know this US border bill is it the same as here because i find a lot of this talk about migration and protecting your borders mm. as being rhetoric yeah really because it's actually drawing yourself away from the real worries right yeah. which are actually the, uh, the you know your 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 health okay, system yeah, exactly, right yes, yes. your education system yeah. your infrastructure which is collapsing you know the true things about how your economy is doing yeah. right whereas does it occupy such a big thing but we're actually joined by our first guest uh, of the day regarding this and you know shed light on this situation over in the US uh, so we're joined by Cesar and please forgive me Cesar because I'm going to try Cesar Quetemoc Garcia Hernandez Assalamualaikum peace and blessings be upon you thank you for joining us Cesar did I almost get it right <laughs> you did and i appreciate the effort <laughs> thank you very much so we're um we're, we're talking about the us border bill uh, and it's it's a bit i suppose um weird for us from the uk to talk about your us border bill but there seems to be some i suppose similarities in terms of how we view migration into the uk and how maybe you know you in the us view migration as well so do you believe that this bill in itself is tough on border security and does not or uh, tackle the immigration reform well it's interesting to hear you describe it as a border bill because most of the political discussion in the united states around this bill has been as an immigration bill and of mm-hmm. course immigration and borders are related but they're not the <coughs> same thing um, but I think to, to your point, this is very much so a, a bill that is focused on uh, adding more security resources, police resources to uh, the the U.S.-Mexican border specifically, uh, ramping up the number of Border Patrol agents, for example, spending more money on the number of uh, prison beds that are available to immigration officials under the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, and um, more money uh, for advanced uh, surveillance technologies 
um, f so that the federal government um, can have a closer eye over um, uh, people uh, and goods that are moving across the the, the border. Um, but of course, it does it, it comes um, also with the possibility of uh, really closing off asylum. Uh, for for people who are in the most vulnerable positions, that is, the folks who are fleeing for their lives and hopeful mm -hmm. that in the United States they might find safe harbor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I don't understand, uh, Cesar, is that you know it's in the details, right? In the details of the bill, that you know there's something in the region of seventy five billion dollars, which is going to be allocated or should be allocated to Ukraine and Israel. So that's what perplexes me is that, you know, if this is a U.S. borders bill, why is that remuneration going or you know, funding going to both Ukraine and Israel? Well, we see that these completely unrelated um, policy objectives yeah. are, uh, were tied up in the same bill uh, because of a political calculation right. uh, by President Biden and leading Democrats that they might be able to uh, bring along some votes from Republicans in Congress to support funding uh, the U.S. Uh, 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 attempt to, to bolster Ukrainian um, defenses. Mm -hmm. um, Republicans in Congress, um, in the House of Representatives in particular, have been very reluctant. They're not particularly interested in supporting Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Biden administration really hoped that they could play this uh, political negotiation game by giving um, uh, Republicans a lot of what they hoped for in terms of immigration policy, mm -hmm. making it harder to get into the United States um, in exchange for getting what the president wants, which is more money to support uh, Ukrainian defenses. And it took about 15 minutes uh, before the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Republican Mike Johnson, uh, said uh, that the bill was dead on arrival. Um, and as <laughs> okay. a result, it hasn't moved forward. Mm -hmm. So basically, the sweetener wasn't a sweet uh, or wasn't sweet enough. Apparently not, um, and, and that's ironic because uh, a lot of the immigration-focused provisions of the bill uh, were really uh, kind of a sweetheart deal for mm -hmm. for Republicans. Um, they they've wanted to make it harder to get asylum in the United States. They're constantly asking for more border patrol agents. Um, and uh, the Biden administration was willing to give them a lot of that, uh, and it was proven insufficient. Hmm. So uh, will these laws stop refugees from entering the USA as they are willing to risk everything to cross the border? Well, look, I think if, if, this, if this bill would, were to have become law, um, and, and, and as I've said already, I, I, there's no indication right now that this is going to um, move forward um, in, in either chamber of, of Congress. Um, but if it were to become law, then the provision that shuts off access to asylum is really quite a, a, a revolutionary um, a change because for, for decades, really going back to the aftermath of World War II, the United States has, has really tried to hold itself out and, and to some extent um, uh, um, realize that aspiration as a country where you know, people who are fleeing for their mm -hmm. lives can actually turn to and, 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 and find safe harbor and then build their own lives mm -hmm. here. Um, and, and there was a provision in the, in the bill that said, look, if, if Border Patrol uh, officials um, at, uh, apprehend uh, 5,000 people on an average day over seven days, over any seven-day period, 
um, then the federal government is required to uh, stop processing asylum applications. Mm. Right? And, and, and those are the people who, are, who, are, who don't have enough <coughs> way of getting into the United States. Right? Those mm. are the people who are really tapping that last-ditch effort. And would those, so would those people have um, stopped coming? Probably not. Mm. Um, I think until the United States ceases to be um, that uh, the place where people from around the world, including Latin America, but also other places, you know, see the possibility of a new life. Mm. You know, people are still going to be coming, and they're only, but they're going to have to take more dangerous, more expensive routes uh, to get into the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've found that I'm not sure if you're aware of our current here in the UK um, immigration policy is that we are effectively closing off all routes, legal routes, that is, to the majority of refugees from uh, conflict countries. And in doing so, it's supposed to be, or the rhetoric of the UK government is that it's supposed to be a deterrent. And it will stop um, the or the, the percentage of refugees who are coming to this country for economic or as an economic migrant, as opposed to, um, say, for instance, political or religious asylum. So is is that what, uh, I mean, this bill is about? Is actually just a full-on deterrent and just like uh, a big hand up saying, look, you just don't bother even coming over here? That's the goal, right? That's the, that's the state of... Uh, stated objective, uh, but to the extent that an island nation that they, like the UK struggles to turn that into reality, mm. you know, you, it's magnified that that uh, difficulty is magnified when you have a two two thousand mile long border um, to our south and an equally long, or actually longer border uh, mm, to, uh, to, mm. to our our north, right? Um, and 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 the the thing is, you know, we have we have an immense need for labor in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have labor market shortages pretty much uh, across the, the entire country um, in cities large and small in industries from the you know most labor intensive to to professional occupations um, and as long as the United States wants to continue having the economic vitality that it has enjoyed for the last several generations um, then we need somebody who's going to be um, engaging in that in that work Doing the grunt um, so to make doing doing the grunt work exactly yeah. um, of of making this this country the economically vibrant place that it has has been mm-hmm. um, and if we're not going to be um, making the, uh, those babies which uh, you know our birth rate shows that we're not um, then we need to hope that people continue to to see in the United States a place of of economic opportunity so the idea um, that we might want to discourage uh, folks whose only goal is to improve their quality of life is 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 Definitely is is uh, sh- uh, short sighted because yeah, um, shooting yourself in the foot really, uh, in that sense. Very much so, and we have a and we have a shooting problem in the United States already. <laughs> That's that'll be for a different show, I think. Uh, Cesar, right? I mean, what? Why is the U.S. facing such a crisis when you know you've already uh, invested in deploying law enforcement agencies with border control uh, and building walls uh, in the past? I mean, why is it still such a, a big problem there then? Yeah, look, we have steel and concrete walls. We have more border patrol agents than ever before in the history of the United States deployed somewhere around uh, the United States. Um, we have uh, more money that's spent on advanced surveillance technologies. 
um, and um, tens of thousands of people who are being um, detained every single day on suspicion of having violated immigration law. And and so if the solution to to uh, uh, regulating movement across the border um, was to have been bought, we would have bought it a long time ago. Yeah. Right? Uh, but the, re- the, 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 the reality of migration is, is out of line with the immigration law. Politicians you know, continue to hope that we can police our way out of people coming to this country, um, but that's a fantasy that's never existed and doesn't seem likely to exist in the future because we have all kinds of needs. We have labor needs, mm-hmm. right? Um, we also have just personal ties. Mm-hmm. We have people like me who have who have uh, personal relationships that that cross borders, um, and as a result, when people are thinking of of, of leaving wherever they call home. Um, the United States is an attractive um, uh, destination in large part because there are already communities here, right, that cross those borders where, you know, you can find somebody who is close to you. You might find relatives. You might find friends. You've, you're going to find a community that you can tap into because we are such a diverse um, and large uh, popu- population. And that's, that's nothing that's nothing new, um, and 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 as a result, yeah, these transit networks that stretch from the United States to every basically every corner in the United States, they're robust and they're available for folks who have the drive and also the the, the capital to invest in relocating, which is a you know very difficult um, uh, decision uh, to uproot. And one that you know it comes with a lot of financial costs, but also with a, a lot of emotional costs, because not only are you leaving in the, uh, the place that you're comfortable in, but you're arriving in a new place where it takes an immense amount of effort to to start a new life in a new place. Mm-hmm. So, what will be the outcome of this long-winded refugee crisis? Well, I think I think we're 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 destined to continue seeing more people. Um, hope that in the United States, um, they're going to find um, a, a new life, a, a community where they can start over and per- perhaps give their children um, the the safety and security and opportunity that they don't have for themselves. And, you know, there there are continue to be political crises um, across Latin America. Um, which, of course, the United States has obvious um, ties, long-standing ties uh, to, um, but not just in Latin America. We're seeing folks from the Caribbean and various uh, countries across Africa who are um, uh, who are hoping um, to come to the United States. In Ukraine, in the first few months after the the invasion, um, over 100,000 Ukrainians were welcomed into communities around the United States. Um, I don't think. Uh, unless there's some dr- drastic change in global politics and global affairs where the United States suddenly ceases to be um, uh, uh, to have the standing and the and the security and the, and the safety um, the economic opportunity that it currently has and that it has had for basically the lifetimes of all of uh, all of us who are alive right now mm-hmm. you know unless something drastically changes um, I think we can expect that the future of immigration um, in the United States is going to look a lot like the present unless uh, Congress decides that they want to change gears. And so far, we're seeing them try more of the same, hope for more of the same. And if they're, if policies um, um, are going to simply try to do more of what we're already doing, mm-hmm. well, then we should expect that the reality on the ground is going to look a lot like it does now. Mm, so basically, no change, really. 
and it's just a it's like a it's, it's like a TV drama which goes on for you thought one season but it's actually in the seventh season and there's no kind of end to it to it really I mean so right. how how do you see you know the approach of your government the US government of actually sending refugees to their home country or putting them in detention centers uh, I mean is this really the solution for this problem well, no, it's not a solution to this problem because we've been detaining people for for decades, and mm. you know, people continue to hope to 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 come to the United States, and more people continue to try to come to the United States. You know, we can spend money on 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 flying deportees to to faraway countries, um, and others are still going to come here. Right? This idea that we can sort of heavy hand our way out of people wanting to to make a life in the United States has never been true. Um, we've been trying it. We've been trying it by spending records amount, record amounts of, of dollars um, and hiring record number of, of, of law enforcement personnel. And so if it were going to be possible to to buy our way out of, uh, of, uh, of people wanting to come to the United States, we would have done this um, in some, some point in the, in, the, in the past. And so mm-hmm. I think you know, we can expect to see that as we spend more money on policing and fortifying the border, we're just going to end up in a situation where it's more expensive um, to get to the United States. It's more dangerous to get to the United States, where we're incentivizing people uh, relying on um, unscrupulous uh, smugglers. Um, and that's not a situation that is uh, good for, for anyone. If what the United States wants is to know who's coming into the United States, mm-hmm. um, then what we ought to do is facilitate the kind of transit that many of us who are fortunate to, to have a U.S. passport are very familiar with, which is we buy an airplane ticket, we fly into Heathrow, we present ourselves uh, for inspection, and the government knows exactly who's coming, mm-hmm. um, where we're coming from, and why we're there. Mm, exactly. I mean, as you're saying, uh, and in fact, I think as you're answering Rana's question, it came to my mind that the analogy is almost like black market. You know, when you have a black market, um, how do governments circumnavigate goods which are dealt on the black market is actually to make them legal. And then when you make them legal, you can tax them. Right. So, right. you know, tax and, regu- and regulate, tax and regulate. And, and regulate. you can, like you I, can live actually... Co- I live in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, says thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you uh, today on the Drive Time Show. Have a good day. Thank you, you too. Thank you. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And I think, you know, what I took from our just conversation with Cesar is the issues, and I think... Um, I was prefacing it before actually says are coming on mm. on uh, live with us is that I wanted to know do, are they basically facing the same type of talk rhetoric mm. that we are here in the yeah. UK and to my mind it's exactly the same yeah um <laughs> you know it's, yeah, so it's it, almost it, like it, a storm in a teacup yeah. but the government's blowing that up so big yeah. and chucking money at it yeah. whereby actually you know what those resources and that money mm. could go elsewhere into more Useful, productive, yeah, productive things. Uh, elements of, of uh, you know the economy yeah. than into something which is like a um, it's, it's like a sponge right yeah. it's just sucking up all that thing but it'll never get solved exactly so you know that's um, 
that as you said it's it's it, it is like a storm in a teacup and um for that you know we should maybe start looking at what are the solutions and i mm-hmm. i would say look let's look at um you know how does islam also touch upon this yeah. right um especially in this question in regards to migration mm-hmm. so islam encourages believers to find a suitable environment where they are free to practice their beliefs Allah the Almighty commands believers to explore in Allah's land a peaceful place if the environment is hostile towards them. Allah the Almighty says in chapter 4 verse 98, verily those who, who verily those whom the angels cause to die while they are wronging their own souls, the angels will say to them, what are you after? They will say, we were trusted, we were treated um, as weak in the land. The angels will say, was it not Allah's earth was was not Allah's earth spacious enough so that you could have emigrated therein mm. you know this is quite um you know interesting in the sense that the land is exactly it's 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 and this is what I was actually alluding to in the beginning I just believe that the immigration policies especially from UK they 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 fail to realize that um the land is not uh, the land should be the same for everyone you know mm-hmm. and this is what this verse of the quran is actually mm-hmm. alluding to here that you know why did you <laughs> th- this this whole yeah, world because basically if you are having difficulties where you live why didn't you you know the yeah. earth is big enough for you to go somewhere else somewhere right? else exactly and uh, imagine then you're still not being permitted to go into somewhere mm. where you 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 could have um you know where you should where but you this, could th- find but this is where i find this conversation regarding immigration stroke migration as being so topsy-turvy and what i mean by that is that the mainstream media give it a negative connotation yeah aligned with say for instance when we look at the u.s uh, sorry the uk government this this language that they use yeah invasion yeah so you know when you you hear oh we're being invaded our borders are being invaded yeah you naturally, well, I don't know about you, naturally in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that you've got these marauders coming along, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's a negative connotation. It is, of course, it's a negative away, comment, right? connotation. So I've always thought, and I, it would be you know, impossible for me not to really think about it mm. in that aspect, that migration is a positive yeah. for your country that you migrate to. Okay, yes. Like my my father used to say to me, look, you know, we I've come over here yeah. to make money, right, to earn a living and to provide something better for my family. For my family, yeah. But in doing so, you know, he had a lifetime yeah. of paying into the state pot, pot yeah. right, which benefits everyone who lives here, mm. i.e., the taxes, if used effectively and wisely are spent on education, are mm. spent on healthcare, are spent on our infrastructure. It's unfortunate that we have reached a stage, I think, whereby here in the UK, definitely I, I can I can say mm. because of my experience here, and it sounds like in the US, that governments aren't truly wisely using those resources, mm. right? Because if they had done you wouldn't come to a situation whereby actually something which is a net positive, actually mm. migration, which is helping mm. with giving you uh, a, a more diverse culture, yeah. increasing. And, you know, there's something that Cesar said. Mm. They are in a deficit for labor, yeah. right? And I, I, I said quite 
um, I suppose tongue in cheek, the grunt work. Mm. And grunt work meaning menial, low paid labor. Yeah. So, you know, one of the ideas of us leaving Brexit was that, oh, actually, stop all these European workers taking our jobs. Mm. So how comes how comes then you know, we have fields of <coughs> soft fruits yeah. rotting? Yeah, because they've Okay, because we've those opportunities are there, right? Yeah, and no one wants to take them now. But no one wants to take them. Why? Yeah. Because they're, they're low paying. Yeah. So you'll find that in a lot of um, third world countries, right, where these refugees, where these migrants come from, they're quite happy to work 12 hours a day mm. and be actually doing three jobs mm. in that 12 hours. Yeah. Because you know what? One job will not pay for everything. So that is the culture. And it's a culture clash now, right? Mm. So... When I say topsy-turvy, we need migration. Migration is a positive thing because it's giving us sustainable levels of you know, cheap labor right, to keep our services going, for instance, the NHS in this country. Mm. Then you know, it's stalled or, you know, until a better answer comes or yeah. our own labor in this country becomes skilled enough yes. or able enough to do those jobs. Mm. So we can carry on with what the Holy Quran also states, and mm. whoso immigrates uh, from his country in the way of Allah will find in the earth an abundant place of refuge and plentifulness. Um, Allah the Almighty promises that the believers that if they do emigrate, Allah from his mercy will provide for them provisions in a new place. Allah the Almighty furthermore says in the Holy Quran, these spoils are for the poor refugees who have been driven out of their from their homes and their possessions while seeking grace from Allah and his pleasure and helping Allah and his messenger. These it is who are the true in their faith. And for those who had established their homes in this city and had accepted the faith before them, they love those who came who come to them for refuge and uh, for refuge and find not their breasts any desire for that which has given them refuge, them the refugees, but preference to the refugees above themselves, even though poverty by their own lot, whoso is rid of the, covet, the, the covetousness of his own soul, it is these who will be successful. Surah Al-Hashr, uh, verse 15, uh, chapter 59, um, verse 10. Here, Allah the Almighty establishes rights for those who had to leave their homes and had to settle in new, in a new place. It is a duty of those who are already settled to look after, open their hearts and hope uh, and and homes to those who have been displaced. So, look, these are more general. Um, yeah, but I mean, as you were you know reading out these verses from the Holy Quran, yeah. it just struck me something that uh, Cesar was like saying that the U.S along with the UK, were original signatories to the Refugee Charter in mm. 1951. And this was at the aftermath of World War II. Yeah. So the whole of Europe is decimated. And we're talking about you know, all those European countries to some extent, if not to a huge extent, like Germany, for instance, themselves, mm. totally decimated. And mm. we're talking about resembling Palestine currently, right? Yeah. The Gaza Strip, rubble, decimation, you know, whole nations displaced. So, you know, you as a signatory, and I mean like the US as a signatory yeah. to this charter saying, look, we open our borders to all those who are seeking refuge. Yeah. And 
who in their right mind would leave their home anyway? Mm. It has to be something which is a flight response, right? So you're you're, you're fleeing mainly because you 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 know, it's through fear of your life, yeah. right? Um, and we've seen these images, like you know, currently you know coming from Gaza. You know, they're not going to stay in the north of Gaza because mm. you know what, you're going to die basically, yeah. right? Underneath a bomb. So, you know, they're fleeing, they're fleeing. So, you know, for me, it's just, it's a bit of a stain, right, on these countries like the US and the UK's reputation and standing internationally that actually, you know what, we did sign this charter in 1951, but we don't really, you know what, we're not keeping to those things now, right? But anyway, we are joined by our next guest of the day, uh, Ian Cerullo, Uh, to talk more regarding this. Now, Ian is uh, a chapter leader of the Asia-Pacific American Labor Alliance. He is also a chairperson of the San Diego Immigrant Rights Consortium. As-salamu alaykum. Peace and blessings be upon you, Ian. Thank you for joining us here uh, on the Drive Time Show. Hello, uh, good morning or good afternoon, depending on uh, your time zone. zone. Uh, Thank you for having me. (laughs) No, no, uh, it's a pleasure. I mean, what time? We are, are we about eight hours ahead of you? Depending on, are you East Coast, West Coast? Uh, West Coast. Okay. California. So, 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 yes, sunny California. Well, hopefully it's sunny over there. So, oh, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're we're talking about uh, the borders bill, the U.S. borders bill, and you know, really, although it's a bit dead in the water, the implications of that bill. I mean, how do you see, uh, you know, with this new bill? I mean, will it help, or would it have helped reduce the immigration crisis that, that you're finding yourselves in in the U.S.? Well, you know, I think the, the, this b- proposed bill and the, you know, the Biden administration's uh, um, negotiation with the, the, you know, the other party, you know, if this is uh, going to be implemented, you know, it's going to be very harmful to our communities, right? To to, to immigrant and uh, refugee communities, and mm-hmm. I don't believe that it will ease or reduce the the crisis at the border. Okay, so. We have tried this before, you know, under Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tried to close the border under, you know, a Title 42, which is, uh, you know, a, a policy using the, you know, the the, the COVID-19 pandemic mm-hmm. as a, you know, reason to close the border. It, but it didn't solve the problem. In fact, that policy is the the it's one of the reasons that we are have, we are in this situation right now. Mm. So you don't think so? You in fact think that it's going to, I suppose, uh, exacerbate um, the situation. Uh, correct, correct. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, because what happens is that you know people uh, they, they say that you know this will discourage uh, you know people from going into the U.S. But you know I heard the last part of your discussion there, and that is precisely correct. You know, mm. like you know people don't think about what is the policy in the U.S. and then they decide to go. Right, mm-hmm. they they decided to go because there's dangers in their lives. Mm-hmm. They want to to protect their family. They want to make sure that their family and themselves are are safe are in a safe place. And that is what dri- what's driving this. Mm. It's not like whatever policies in the U.S. You know, they don't care. Mm. And I always find it a bit bewildering that um, 
you know, governments, whether it be the US, the UK, think that, you know, when you're fleeing from persecution, for instance, yeah, whether it's a, a, a war-torn conflict or you're, you know, fleeing religious persecution, whatever it may be, and you're claiming asylum, that, you know, you, you actually, A, know that there's these policies, B, that, you know, these policies might need access to the internet and be online and that you yourself, mm -hmm. as you're fleeing, have all your documentation. I mean, it's, it's, it's just bizarre, right? Because I'm just thinking of the example. If you are seriously um, leaving your house, it's been bombed, okay, maybe you have the wherewithal to just take your passport, right? But really, you're just mm -hmm. running with the clothes on your back because you're trying to save yourself, right? And then you get to mm -hmm. where you think there's a safe haven. And then they're asking you, right, can you p provide me with documentation? Mm. Yeah. I mean, so, so, yeah, that's, that, you know, that what, what it looks like here, you know, at the border, because, you know, I live in San Diego, which is a border mm -hmm. region, right? So we, we are the ones receiving um, a lot of these asylum seekers. I myself, I do a lot of work and volunteer work at the border providing uh, humanitarian relief. Mm -hmm to these people coming from all over all over the world and you know you know i can see exactly the impact of the policy of of, of closing the borders to you know to refugees and this is the main uh, this is the main feature of this border bill or this negotiation that the, that is being floated around is that you know the impact of that is more human suffering mm. because as people you know gather at the border you know, hoping to be able to enter and present their case, uh, their asylum case in immigration court here in the U.S. They are, uh, in in effect, um, it, uh, prohibited from entering the U.S. And so what happens is that they became victims of, uh, you know, the, the, the different kinds of fraud and mm -hmm. the, the cartel who, you know, who actually controls the border region. So many of them, you know, especially women, they are end up being raped, assaulted, wow. because they're not able to enter the U.S. and they are just living in the streets, uh, because all the shelters in Tijuana and in the sh shelters in Mexico are already in capacity. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that they live in the streets, they get victimized. Uh, you know, they they already fled their country because of uh, whatever um, uh, danger, and then when when they arrive at the border, they yet face another round of danger and many even you know because of this policy actually died trying to find a way to enter the u.s you know we we already have at least eight here who who who, who died trying to cross this border just you know since september mm -hmm. so so so, so these kinds of policy so will it, simply bring more human suffering and mm, be you know yeah yeah because you know if you don't allow regulated ways mm. of coming into the country then obviously mm. you're falling into the hands of human traffickers right who will correct, you know, correct. Uh, mm. try and get you in whatever way and then once that happens mm -hmm. you know you have to pay a price right so you know mm -hmm. what do you exactly. think then what do you think then Ian you know uh, for the US government you know to take the right approach I mean what would be the right approach to this crisis well, the, the correct approach, I think, is to 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 find, uh, to 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 implement a system, and that 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 uh, that you know that allows these people to be able to present the, their their asylum claim in court, not you know, like right, you know, contrary to what they're doing right now, is that mm -hmm. they try to 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 stop 
people from 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 coming in to be able to apply. So uh, I think the, the U.S. government has the capacity, you know, to be able to, um, uh, you know, implement a system that uh, uh, that allows these people from entering, allow, allows them to work once they enter, so that they are not a strain to the U.S. resource to to the government resources, and then be able to present themselves their claim in 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 court. And the reason I'm saying this is because. When, when, it, when during the start of the, the war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. there were a lot of uh, Ukrainians here at the border. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. what we're seeing is that once, uh, once uh, the, 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 the refugees and asylum seekers are white, the government is able to find quick solutions. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah because Ukrainians, asylum seekers are, are, uh, are classified by their race, right? Yeah, yeah, right now. Now mm-hmm. that the asylum seekers are brown and black, mm-hmm. it's, they, they're saying that this is a crisis. It's very hard to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. I don't believe so because they already showed, you know. And, and in the history of, of, U, of immigration to the U.S., this, what's happening now is not really unprecedented, you know. Mm-hmm. The, you know there has been uh, several times in the history where there is a, a, you know increased um, uh, influx of asylum seekers and um and we have the resources it's just that the rhetoric and the and, and the policy are driven by 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 hate it's driven by by the narrative that you know these people are criminals that these people are terrorists that these well, it's, people it's are using, being it's using so, i think it's, all, all, it's exactly the same here in the uk it's using this idea of these immigrants as a, a political uh, trope, really, mm. and it's just uh, there to get mm. voters, you know, well, their votes, really. So, is this time mm. we stop using exactly? And I think right now it's the election year here in the in the US, yeah, and that's why the rhetoric is really getting harsher mm. and Ramped worse, up. you know. And you know, we, yeah, yeah. So, so if uh, if the the starting point okay. of this. Converse, conversation is that these people are criminals and terrorists, and that they they are they will be taking away from the from from Americans. Then you know that's that's going to be uh, a problematic narrative, mm-hmm. and 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 which is you know clearly false. Yeah, exactly. So is this time we stop using borders as political tool and fix our broken immigration system? It is. It is. It is. It's. <laughs> Um, there has been a call for years, for decades now, to to uh, um, uh, reform and and uh, um, you know make uh, uh, um, amendments to the immigration law in the U.S. But it's just that uh, the dysfunction in the politics is what prevents that to happen. So uh, even, for example, you know, just to give you an example of why. Um, there, there should be a need to to amend the the, the law. Like, for example, you know, the, the issue about the dreamers, which is, I think, the low hanging fruit here. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, most Americans agree that they should these dreamers who are who were brought here in the U.S. as kids, as children, so, so they don't have, uh, they didn't violate any law at all. Mm-hmm. It, when it comes to immigration law, they were brought here as babies, as children, and yet, you know, m- most Americans agree that they'd be given a chance to. To, to become permanent residents and and to U.S. citizenship, and yet that that kind of uh, uh, legislation is not able to 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 get through Congress. So you know, so even that, which is uh, uh, most Americans agree, is not able to pass. How much more 
when it comes to you know the, uh, the other issues in immigration law. So it's just unfortunate that this is happening. Mm. Can I just ask you a question, uh, Ian? That say, for instance, you are a illegal immigrant and you have gained entry into the U.S., right? But then subsequently, mm. you have uh, you give birth, right? to a mm. child in mm. the US does that child have US citizenship yes correct yeah they so, do, do um, right so so yes yes yeah so anyone who is born in US soil mm-hmm. is US citizen uh, US citizen right okay so in terms of mm. what you were talking about just now these greeners then they yeah. you know, then that really is a disparity in out, law so they were yeah. born outside of the us so they were born outside of the us mm-hmm. but when they were very young their parents uh, crossed uh, the borders illegally mm-hmm. and brought with them their babies their children right mm-hmm. so 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 the children grow up only to discover that they are actually undocumented so and they don't have you know, any way to pursue, you know, ha- you know, pursue college, for example, this, mm-hmm. there are some schools that, you know, require social security and all. So, so it's only later on that they discover that they are actually undocumented. Mm-hmm. So we call those people dreamers because, you know, uh, there is, there was a proposed dream act mm-hmm. uh, that supposedly uh, will provide solution to this, to the, to the problem of, of, of the dreamers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been, and even that uh, hasn't know, been it, passed. It was not, Yes, correct. Yeah, mm, you know, and every year it has been proposed, proposed, and that 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 even couldn't pass. So, <laughs> so, so that, really, uh, there is the, there is no the uh, hope for any new legislation if something so really apparent, which should be passed, isn't being passed currently. Mm-hmm. Well, Ian, it's been a mm-hmm. pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us from the West Coast uh, on the Drive Time Show today. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, have a good day. All right, 0208-687-787 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And I think, you know, just this last uh, issue, or not issue, this last uh, bit of information that uh, Ian was talking about, these dreamers, we have exactly the same situation here in the UK. I don't know if you're aware or um, know of the Windrush conspiracy. So that was, you know, the UK government bringing in, I think, from Jamaica. Yeah. I mean, on H, uh, whatever it was, but the the ship was called Windrush mm. um, in the fifties. So all these migrants were brought in to do labour, mm. uh, and subsequently, you know, they've had their kids over here. Mm. They've given birth to kids over here, and they, unfortunately, are unregistered, so okay. don't have citizenship. Don't have passports, yep. and this is the cons- well. This is the scandal, and although the government um, subsequently have righted that wrong, there's still compensation mm. to be had, right? Um, and it's exactly what uh, Ian's talking about. These dreamers, yeah, can you dream. imagine, right? That you, you, know, you, you may, you may be, you're five years old. You've come to a country. You lived your whole life in yeah. that country. You've gone through the education system, and then to find out no, you're not really a citizen. You're not a citizen. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it's very very disarming. It is really. Um, so, what can we say uh, as regards to this? And in fact, actually, uh, in in terms of 
you know, how refugees and asylum seekers should be acting once they you know, gain entry or legally gain entry into a country. Uh, His Holiness, the uh, head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, Hazrat Misra, um, Misra Masra Ahmad, I should say, uh, has said that Islam requires Muslims to love their country, to be loyal to it and to abide by the laws of the land. This is the message that imams and Muslim clerics should be voicing to all the Muslim refugees who are coming to the West. They should be reminded that they have been given a second lease of life and the opportunity to raise their children in a country that is safe from war and disorder. And so it is incumbent upon them to value and cherish their new home. Now, speaking about the sudden influx of refugees into Europe from uh, conflict zones such as Syria and Iraq, he further went on to say that the refugees escaped their previous lives in search of peace and so now have been granted shelter and security here. It is incumbent upon them to live here peacefully and abide by the laws of the land. All immigrants should remain entirely faithful to their adopted nation and should use all their abilities to help their country advance and prosper. So Moses, as, in, as a refugee and an immigrant, mm-hmm. uh, an example of an individual immigra- uh, migration in the Quran would be the migration of Moses who migrated from Egypt to Median as a result of the oppression of Pharaoh. Moses also exemplifies the condition of being a refugee and an immigrant. This story, which is also in the Quran, begins with Moses being told to flee for his safety in Surah 28, um, verse 20. The Quran then gives the prayer that Moses said when he feared that he would be captured as he fled. Lord, protect me from the wrongdoing people, Surah 28, um, verse 21. And he tells how he asked God for for guidance. Now, a refugee... Now, a refugee, he finds himself in the town of Median where he meets two girls and helps them to water their sheep. This is followed by another prayer. My Lord, truly I am in need of whatever good that you send down to me. Moses is taken to see the father of one of the shepherdesses who says to Moses, Fear not, you have escaped from the wrongdoing people. Here in the Quran, we have Moses as a refugee exemplifying the actions of a refugee. Uh, what what they the actions they should take to pray to for God's assistance and to be of service to those refugees um, to those a refugee meets along his his or her way. It is it also talks about the response of the host to take in the refugee and give him or her shelter. Mm. And I think you know in conclusion when we've spoken to our guests from the US and uh, uh, who are obviously more cognizant of the situation yeah. there. I mean, just what Ian just said just now, you know, there are shanty towns on yeah. the border whereby, you know, it's like living in limbo, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you don't know, you don't really have an existence uh, in the sense of you have no hopes. Yeah. Right? You know, there's nothing to inspire. To, well, the, the only thing you is... You are, you're just living in limbo, yeah. right? The only thing is that you, you, if you ever do go out from those shanty towns and you see the world around you, it's... It, it could also maybe if if it, it could inspire you to mm-hmm. come things. out of them, but anyway, but, yeah, that's that's it. But that brings us to the end of the show. This Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. A big thank you to our producers Azka Hina, uh, Sana Nadim, and uh, Nabahat Naira. A big thank you to my co-host uh, Imam Rana Atta and myself, Talib Man. This was Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show.